1: with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com credit card. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older, around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. The volume. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener, offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code JOHN. J. O. H. N. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet 5 on the NFL. That's code JOHN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Licensed partner, Gold Nugget Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in ONT. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. dot. DraftKings.slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. How are we doing? It is Monday night, a little after 9 p.m. Watch Dakota Prescott, Jerry Jones, McCarthy take down the charges. We will dive into all the angles of that game, which was pretty terrible for a large percentage of it, but like the NFL does, very entertaining down the stretch. Uh, some thoughts on the broadcast for Notre Dame-USC. I have to talk about it. Never seen anything quite like that. As well as the Eagles and the 49ers losing and uh, Belichick. <laughs> the Patriots are terrible. Uh, which we seems like we talk about all the time, as well as some other stuff about the Lions. Uh, we will bounce around Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, and some thoughts on Penix and Shador Sanders and Caleb, who did not play very well. So we'll talk a lot of football. That's what the show does. Three and out. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen on YouTube as well. And uh, also, Middlecoff mailbag. We will have some Middlecoff mailbag questions. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those direct messages and get your question answered here on the mailbag. We'll have some mailbag questions today. We'll have another podcast for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So, the mailbag questions, keep them coming and I will answer them throughout the week. Let's dive into the pod. Did you watch that game tonight and you think, God, I want to go to a game at SoFi? I've been. I would recommend it to anyone. That stadium is one of the most remarkable places I've ever been. And I've been to Europe. I've been to the you know the Colosseum. I've seen a lot of crazy things. That thing is. I highly recommend going to an event there, a concert, uh, a football game, if you ever get the opportunity. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to your smartphone, download the Game Time app, and when you download the Game Time app, number one ticketing app and the official ticketing app of this podcast. Sign up for uh, sign up. And using your first pair of tickets, use the promo code John, J-O-H-N, J-O-H-N, and get $20 off your first pair of tickets. Comedy shows, concerts. Do you live in Philadelphia? I I got news for you. Your team is going to win the World Series. But if you live in the Dallas-Arlington area, your team's probably going to the World Series. You want to go to a World Series game? Game time. Game time. Go to it right now. They have interactive Uh, maps of the stadium given the price point you can pick where you want to sit and when you pick a pair of tickets promo code john $20 off game time promo code john we'll start with monday night football and before we dive into the nuts and the bolts of the game i mean that that was mike mccarthy the dallas cowboys and brandon staley written all over it constant penalties constant let's face it pretty ugly watch uh, I, I thought that just kind of symbolizes the NFL. Y- you could argue close to 90% of that game was pretty terrible. I mean, honestly, was not even that entertaining. Yet, coming down the stretch, the game is tied, and you're on the edge of your seat. Whether you're gambling, whether you're playing fantasy football, or whether you're just, I didn't have any money on this game, I don't play fantasy football, I was just locked in, I was very entertained, and the game was terrible. That is what the NFL constantly brings it happened Sunday night with the Bills and the Giants it happened tonight with the Chargers and the Cowboys a bad a poorly played game Herbert was awful Dak had one good drive which we'll get into yet the game is just insanely entertaining and it consistently lives up to the hype Uh, and the Cowboys get a big win so let's start with Dallas it was it was 10-10 and I thought Dak had not just the best drive of the season but he made two of the best plays of the season you could argue the two best plays of the season let's face it when you're dakota prescott and you're making 40 million dollars and you're the quarterback of the cowboys everyone has an opinion about you i'm guilty right and he's a very very polarizing player because i think we all agree he's not as good as the money he's making. And listen, I'm, I'm not counting pennies. I don't give a shit how much he makes. But in the NFL, if you want to talk about the sport and you want to sit at the big boy table, your salary as a player, especially as a quarterback, given how much they make, impacts the way you build the team. And he's been paid now for a couple of years, so his $40 million was ahead of the curve. It impacts how you build the squad. And when you're a $40, $45, 50000000 million player, look at Jalen Hurts yesterday and really all season long... Your standard is really, really high because you have to be a really good player to justify the salary. And if you're not, given that I have to limit at other positions because of your number, it is a problem. And that's part of his story, right? So Dak has taken some shit. Last week was embarrassing. Even he said it after the game. He was humbled, right? He thought he had the good game plan coming in against the 49ers, and they got mollywopped. Well, tonight, with the game on the line, second half, tie game, he had the scramble to Pollard, and one of the big knocks on him, and me and Coward talked about it last week after the Sunday night game, is if his athleticism isn't there, if his playmaking isn't there, he's not a great pocket quarterback. Like, that's not never been his game. He's not going to play like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Drew Brees, right? He has to be a guy making plays outside the pocket. What's the big problem with Russell Wilson? Well, once his athleticism dips, and peak Russell Wilson was better than anything Dak ever was, but you see the limitations, you're not going to dominate within the pocket. Well, what happened tonight with the game on the line? He made an incredible scramble play, looked, you know, like he did in his younger years, scrambled to the right, hit Pollard for a massive gain, and then he capped off that drive with a touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks where he, you know, kept backpedaling on purpose to clear out the space and threw a dime to Brandon Cooks. And if that is the playmaking that Dak Prescott's going to bring to the table, this is a team that can compete, right? And that's the playmaking that was obviously missing last week and sometimes in the biggest games. But tonight, I I thought he was really good. He clearly was the best quarterback on the field. And if they get that type high-end play out of Dak Prescott, they can win some of these big games. They can compete with the Eagles, right? They can compete... To win the division especially you know they're only one game back of the Eagles after they lost that game to the Jets so obviously their coaching staff is always going to be in question do I believe or do you believe in Mike McCarthy it's hard to but we know with Dan Quinn and you saw in that final drive of the Chargers they have one of the best non quarterbacks in the league in Micah Parsons and on any given snap that guy c- can come from any given angle and sack the quarterback, and make a big play. And listen, they have some injuries on their defense, but their DB still make plays. They are very, very well coached up on defense, as they should be. I'm sure they're paying Dan Quinn $5 million to be their defensive coordinator. So the Cowboys, as we say over and over, because they're not just going to boat race people like they did against the Giants or like they did against the Jets. They're going to play in tight games. And when they're playing in tight games, we know their defense can make plays, right? It's going to come down to Dak. Is he throwing the ball to the other team? Or is he making sweet plays to Tony Pollard, Brandon Cooks, and CeeDee Lamb? As I said last week, when he played the 49ers, there's no excuse for them only to have seven points. He's not playing with a bunch of randos. He has impact players. Tony Pollard is a stud. I was watching today thinking, how on God's green earth did CeeDee Lamb last till the 17th pick in the draft? Think how insane that is. Jerry Judy, let's face it, a royal bust, was drafted ahead of him. You think if Denver had a redo on that one, they would have taken CeeDee Lamb over Jerry Judy? Uh, I think so. So, massive outing for Dak. He needed it. The Cowboys, you know, couldn't afford to lose this game. Uh, I mean, technically they could, because to get a wild card in the NFC, you could probably win nine games. But, you know, like the Cowboys aren't hell due. They'll just get in the playoffs. Now you're talking about winning playoff games. Competing to go to the NFC Championship game. And the only way that is possible, because we know their defense has an opportunity to win playoff games. They did last year when they lost. Their defense showed up against the 49ers, and they were fucking awesome. The problem is the quarterback. And when the quarterback makes plays, they're a formidable foe. But when he doesn't and throws the ball to the other team, they they got no shot. So the good Dak showed up. What happened? Cowboys got a massive, massive win on Monday Night Football. Let's get to the Chargers. Uh, listen, a lot of people are like, you better go in on Herbert. He was terrible tonight. That was as bad of a game, and I've been watching his career since Oregon, as you're going to see the guy play. He was he was atrocious. I mean, he missed plays that a top-five quarterback in the NFL cannot afford to miss. Overthrowing guys, missing guys on touch passes. Uh, obviously, he can at any moment scramble around and throw a dime and look like John Elway. But he missed Keenan Allen on the one that Troy Aikman said. That could have been a touchdown, and he's right. Uh, Threw the pick at the end of the game. Just wasn't very good. I do think, though, it reflects a little... uh, You know, the Chargers, to me, have some USC in the pros vibes. If their quarterback is off, they ain't winning a game. Their defense, led by their head coach, who's their defensive coordinator, is just not going to make big-time plays. And their coach is going to make decisions that cost them. It was 10-7. And, of course, everyone on social media, all the blue check marks in the media are like, I love it! I love it when he goes for it. No guy consistently goes for it and fails like Brandon Staley. Now, he also went for it later in the game and got a touchdown. But it feels like more often than not, he does not get it. And in a spot when it's 10-7 and a field goal ties the game with several quarters left. He never does it. Like, bro, just make it 10-10. And then they later kick the field goal. You would have had the lead 13 to 10, but he does not think like that. And you can say the analytics, the numbers, the process behind it adds up to that. That's all I ever hear is the process is correct. Nothing agitates me more. We're not in a process-oriented sport, right? it's about the results. Do you get it or do you not? Do you win or do you lose? It reminds me so much of politics and bureaucrats saying like, our heart was in the right place. Yeah, well, your decision failed for society. Like no one gives a shit about your process when the results don't work. We are judged in my business, everyone listening's business, obviously in football, on the results Everyone thinks because, like, Nick Saban the last 15 years talks about the process nonstop. Do you know why he talks about the process? Because he's won six fucking national titles. And if I hear one more time about Brandon Staley's process being correct, and I know Telesco is buddies with everybody in the the industry, and everyone loves him. And listen, I, I think he's a pretty good drafter as well. But anyone that supports this constant failure makes me sick. Now, I I am not absolving Justin Herbert tonight. Bright lights, Cowboys, you're getting 25, 30 million people watching. Awful game. That is separate from his coach, who is awful. I mean, that guy is bad. Like, everyone, universally, we all have to agree. Now, because he has been on the forefront of going for it, and he knows everyone in the media's name during press conference. Nice question, Bill. Yo, good, good, yeah, I, I feel you there, John. Everyone's always wanted to like him. I think he's one of the biggest phonies, frauds in recent memory in pro sports. No one can top Gabe Kapler. He's not far behind. But Dean Spanos doesn't have a choice here. I don't care if you end up making a wild card or not. You cannot have this guy as your head coach when Justin Herbert's your quarterback. You can't. And like I said, I'm not absolving tonight. Justin Herbert's performance was awful. I don't know statistically where it ranks of his entire career. Has to be one of, if not the worst game he's ever played. Uh, from the eye test, it was about as off as you're going to see him. Start to finish, really. I mean, right? It wasn't It wasn't just a series or two like last year in the second half. I thought he was bad most of the game. But the coaching staff, and I actually am still somewhat of a believer in Kellen Moore, but I'm biased on that one. When I worked at Fresno State, he was a Boise State's quarterback. And beside like Reggie Bush and like Cam Newton, he's the best college player I've ever seen. So I, I, I'm fully admitting that I am biased toward Kellen Moore. But to me, Brandon Staley is just a buffoon. I mean, I mean, he really is. I, I can't stand looking at him now with the beard. Uh, he's always like, you know, you notice whenever they show LeBron on TV, he's always covering his mouth like LeBron. We don't give a fuck what you're talking to your friend about. No one gives a shit. You don't need to cover your mouth. You're at an NFL game. Uh, who knows what the guy's talking about where he always feels obligated to do that. Maybe it's just his like, narcissism that he thinks everyone's looking at him. Like, bro, just talk to your buddy. Uh, Brandon Staley always covering his mouth. Like, Brandon, no one cares what defensive play you're calling. It it rarely ever works. So covering your mouth with your play sheet, no one's looking. You know, I, I promise you, they're not. Uh, I, I'm just Brandon staley out. And this is a conversation. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I had this guy red flag two and a half years ago when everyone was trying to anoint him. So I was well ahead of the curve. Uh, but this guy just, I mean, what a joke. The Chargers, maybe it's part of the Chargers. I mean, in, in fairness, they've been playing the same game for 15-plus years, it feels like. But you gotta, and listen, it's gonna be difficult because Dean Spanos idolizes his savings account. So knowing that he'll have to pay Brandon Staley and some of his coaching staff to go away and then pay a new coaching staff, he will not like that, but he's not going to have a choice. He's really not. Now, the problem is going to be they clearly like Telesco. If you're going to give a coach, you're going to want a new GM. But that's a topic for another day. This is just – it hasn't worked in a while. It definitely isn't working now. I mean, the Cowboys were there to be beat tonight. They really were. And, uh, of course, Brandon Staley doesn't win the game because he never does. Really quick before I dive into a couple other uh, NFL things, because the Cowboys – you know, are topical. The Cowboys have a former coach that currently somehow calls Notre Dame football. And I have to call out NBC for... Me and Colin didn't get a chance to talk about it on Sunday night's podcast, so I wanted to discuss it now before I forget. What NBC did to us... The football fan, the consumer, the people that literally pay for everything in the sport of football with our time watching these games, millions of us, sit on our couch and consume this sport from sunup till sundown, Saturday, really through Monday night. You could argue starting on Thursday, but definitely starting Saturday morning through Monday night. I mean, I've watched 40 hours of football the last couple of days. I have never really, I mean, I've known Jason Garrett's terrible on television when I see him on Sunday Night Football, but I had never watched him call a football game. And Jack Collinsworth, Chris's son, I've seen on social media forever, everyone talking a lot of shit about nepotism and him only getting the job because of his dad. But I I mean, truthfully, I had never watched him call a game. So I had known the like narrative out there from the fans, but sometimes stuff on Twitter, you don't know if it's real life. So I just watched the first half of the game, having a few cocktails, and it was one of the great FUs to the football fan I've ever seen in my entire life. What a complete embarrassment for Notre Dame and NBC, which ironically, the next athletic director of Notre Dame is a guy named Pete Bavakwa who has been the chairman of NBC Sports for like a decade and a half. And for those of us that follow golf closely, it's a running joke how bad their coverage is. So listen, it's fully like on record how little NBC Sports cares about you with golf and with Notre Dame football. Now, you could argue NBC, the Sunday night game, not bad. I think Chris Collinsworth's pretty good. Obviously, Tarico's good. Michael's forever was good, like it's a high level broadcast. But to roll out Jack Collinsworth, and my thing with nepotism, there are two ways to get jobs in this world obviously, you have a family member, right? A a cousin, a dad, a brother, or you get in with somebody, right? The reason you're listening to me on this podcast is because I got in with Colin Coward. Now I met him through Twitter, and then he started having me on a show. A lot of you listening that have jobs that aren't because of a family member, probably because you got to know a guy. You you know you got to know a guy at another job. He moved. He hired you. It's the way the world works. Now listen, football is filled with nepotism. How, how do you think Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, for example, got hired? I, I don't care how your opportunity comes. Now the reason you take advantage of an opportunity has to come because of your talent, right? The reason Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay both make fifteen million dollars is not because Kyle's dad is Mike Shanahan or Sean McVay's dad was the GM of the Bill Walsh 49ers. It's because they're fucking good at their job and they dominate and they work guys like Mike McCarthy on a weekly basis. Right? So when I watched Jack Collinsworth, I I didn't look at him like, Oh, he's Chris. Dude played at Notre Dame, probably a high level guy. And they started calling the game. And I'm like, this can't be serious. It It had the energy of like a dog mid nap. I mean, the game was those two guys on a microphone just because you're a famous guy, right? You're coach, former coach of the Cowboys. You played in the NFL. Does not mean you're going to be good with a mic in front of your face. And Jason Garrett is beyond god-awful. It doesn't get any worse. That combination of those two individuals is arguably the worst broadcast I've ever heard. And I've been watching sports, I mean, consistently for 30-plus years. I mean, it could not get any worse. And sometimes, like I said, you see things on social media, you're like, you know, this is a little overblown. You know, Joe Buck takes a lot of hate. Joe Buck's good. What, what I witnessed with Jack Collinsworth and and Jason Garrett is one of the biggest debacles television has ever thrown at us with USC and Notre Dame. They NBC should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. But as we know, and as us golf fans know, they do not care. And NBC, when it comes to Notre Dame football, they clearly do not care either. Peter Bavakwa. The next AD at Notre Dame, he clearly doesn't give a shit. So, I, I can't even, it's hard to put into words how bad that broadcast was. Okay, couple couple quick things. Uh, let's dive into two teams that lost this weekend in the Eagles and the 49ers. And obviously a big point of conversation with those two games was the quarterbacks and they did not play very well, right? Uh, let's start with the 49ers. <clears throat> Brock Purdy's become a very polarizing quarterback. Is he really good? Is he average? Is he a product of the talent? And he struggled. Bottom line, relative to his other games in the regular season, he sucked. He, he was not good. He couldn't he could barely hold on to the ball in the rain. It, it was it was not good. Balls were slipping out of his hand. he fumbled the ball, slipped out of his hand. he was missing plays until the last drive. Which he did put them in position to win the game and the kicker missed it. He was bad. He he was. It's his worst game as a pro. I did think Kyle Shanahan was not good, though. And I think one problem with Kyle Shanahan is his offense is awesome. When the run game is working, his offense is unstoppable because everything in the passing game is based off the run game. So you have no clue what's coming. He hits you with these boot actions. These play fakes and guys are moving left and right when the ball's you're moving right, the ball's left. You're moving left, the ball's right. When a situation where they couldn't run the ball, and Cleveland deserves a ton of credit, their defense is elite. By the time you're listening to this, I'm sure you've seen the stats. No team is allowed less or, yeah, less yards through whatever the first six games since like 1971. The defense not only is they're great tacklers. Their pass rush is awesome. Their DBs can cover. They they are an elite defense. That being said, like Kyle Shanahan kept running these play-action passes when the run game wasn't working, and clearly Jim Schwartz had taught the guys, don't bite, and they weren't biting, and they were constantly just getting into Purdy's face. And then on the final drive of the game, they kind of just went normal football, spread it out, get in the shotgun, 4-5 or wide, Even with Debo and McCaffrey out, you still can roll out Ayuk, Kittle, Jennings. You got other players. You can still spread the field out, but that's not Kyle's deal. He hates really that. That's not part of his offense unless he's forced into it, and it worked. And I thought Kyle, like, Purdy's going to take a lot of shit, and rightfully so. Was not good. His coach did not help him out. His coach did not help him out at all. Same thing with the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, awful. Like, that's as bad of a game as you're going to see him play. Here's the problem. And part of the reason I did not bet the Jets, and I didn't even pick them to beat the Eagles in my bold play of the week. Because I felt the Jets are good from playing from ahead, or even a tight game when they know you have to pass. Because they have unlimited pass rushers, and they can tee off. Well, I was like, they're playing the Eagles. The Eagles are running it down people's throats. The Eagles are going to run it 45 times on them. Eagles had a lead. I look up. It's fourteen to three. I'm like, ah, just run DeAndre Swift till the wheels fall off, and you know, beat him into submission. And then, I mean, I was glued to that game. Pass after pass after pass, and I looked up. How many carries did DeAndre Swift get? Ten. How many passes did Jalen Hurts get? Almost fifty. What the fuck were they doing? It honestly made no sense. Like, I, I guess I get Kyle. That's not really our offensive playbook. Like, I'm sorry. You have to have it. Shotgun spread it out. The Eagles, like, just call some run plays. Why are you passing it against a team that you have? When you're playing Zach Wilson, like, a commanding lead is 14 to three. I mean, that's 14 to nine. Like, that's, you should feel good about your advantage. You're not playing Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey here. Run it down their throat. Yet it felt like every single play, drop back, drop back, drop back. And then the moment they hit A.J. Brown down the sideline, I'm like, oh, they're not going to stop passing it. And ultimately what did them in? A pick, which cost them the game. Now we can nitpick. I didn't quite understand. You know, I saw Sirianni today would not admit to allowing them to score. Uh, Clearly they did. I thought you could have played defense there. Everyone's like, just let them score. You get the ball back two timeouts you had 14 fucking points. This notion like, "Oh, scoring a timeout with 100 a minute 40 left and two timeouts is easy." It is real in that game? Like they have 14 points. If you had 37 points, I'd get, I'd understand it. It's like Dan Lanning. He wouldn't kick the punt at the end of the Oregon Washington game. I'd understand it if on every single drive they were scoring, you had allowed one touchdown in the second half. Your defense is playing well. Punt play defense. It's easier to score. Kick a field goal with 50 seconds left, no timeouts. I, I just I I don't agree with that. And I'm not anti-going for it or anti the chart, but sometimes I'm just baffled by oh, minute 40, two timeouts. You're gonna score you're gonna score a touchdown? You've struggled, you literally struggled all game long to score touchdowns, and now you're gonna score? Based on what evidence? I don't see it. What happened? Not only didn't score, he didn't even get close. So I I think both, obviously, Brian Johnson has struggled. Kyle Shanahan has not. He's had a fantastic year. But Brian Johnson was terrible that game. And I I thought Kyle, you know, in the second half was not really good either. And listen, sometimes offensive coordinators have bad games, especially when you have injuries. And clearly with the Eagles, it's hard to play without Lane Johnson. I think their record without Lane Johnson is not good. And anytime you lose, the Eagles are lucky, right? Most teams, if you're lucky, have one good tackle. The Eagles have two. And if you have a good right tackle, the drop off, if you have a pro bowl level right tackle from that guy to your next guy is, I I don't care. I I never get mad at teams like, why don't they have better depth? You think it's easy to find good backup offensive tackles. If a guy is quote unquote, a really good backup offensive tackle, he could start for half the league. So anytime you're going to lose one of your guys, you're going to be in trouble. And obviously the Eagles are when they lose Lane Johnson. Okay. One more thing really quick. The Patriots. I saw Teddy Bruschi today. One thing that's weird is a lot of Patriots are in the media, right? Basically, every single show has a former Patriot, and they're kind of pressed now. If Teddy Bruschi or Edelman or McCordy's on my show, like, what do you think we're talking to them about? Like, I'm not asking them about the Jags or the Colts. Like, what the fuck is going on with Bill Belichick? And I saw Teddy Bruschi say, like, "Listen, it is hard. Like, they are as bad." And listen, I I got fired in radio because I was the post-game host for the Raiders. And this is when they were really, really terrible. And when you're close to a team, when you work an environment around the team and they're bad, it's impossible. Or maybe it is possible. If you're able to do this, I think you're kind of a loser. Uh, I, I, I found it impossible when you're talking about a two, three, four win team to act like things are rosy. Because on a weekly basis, when the team is bad, and not just bad, you're usually getting your ass kicked, it's hard to find silver linings. So when these guys are getting asked, they're starting to be more and more negative. The, the penalties, I mean, yesterday the game opened up with multiple penalties. This is the New England Patriots. So Teddy Bruschi basically said, like, hey, you know, it's kind of Robert Kraft's decision, but this team does not look like a Bill Belichick team. And listen, let's face it, this team's awful. They're really bad. They, that, they had no business even being close in that game. I think Mac Jones is... I don't even, it's not even opinion. He's objectively not a very good NFL quarterback right now. And it's like, well, he doesn't have the players. The whole operation sucks. This is a team that's destined to win four games. But the best part of your Robert Kraft, because I hear like, oh, the Patriots sell off, sell off who? What is their talent? They don't even need to do anything. Like Bill Belichick is literally coaching a team that's headed toward three or four wins. Just let it play out. But I will say this over and over and over again, Bill Belichick separated as a head coach for being ruthless, for being unemotional, for trading guys when he'd go, I'm going to be a year early instead of a year late. He learned that from Bill Walsh, who was also the original, maybe Al Davis was in the 70s, like no emotion when it comes to players. Treat it like a truly as a business, which is hard for a lot of coaches. You get emotionally invested. Why would Robert Kraft now, with how ugly it is, I would get given him the benefit of the doubt if you're like nine and eight and you're just barely missing the wild card. You start winning three or four games, I'm sorry. It's it's over. I understand you've six Lombardis. You went to nine Super Bowls. It was an incredible run. No one can ever take away, and any of us that lived through it, we all agree. It was one of the most remarkable... It's the most remarkable thing we'll ever see in the NFL. The Chiefs could go on a dynasty run. If they win four Super Bowls, that would be, you know, beyond unlikely at this point. Hell, if they win one more, that's a fucking incredible accomplishment. Bill, Those guys won Six. In like multiple decades, right? Three and three in multiple decades. It's crazy. And went to two other ones in the middle. So I I just think that it's over. And the team feels worse and worse by the week. It's one thing to lose to a playoff team. It's one thing to get your ass kicked by Dallas. To me, the Saints game did not age well if you watch the Saints against Texans. And the Raiders just aren't good. The other thing, Jimmy Garoppolo in the middle of the game went to the hospital. And you got Brian Hoyer kicking your ass. You got Josh McDaniels and Brian Hoyer. That, that that if I'm if I'm Robert Kraft man, this is all she wrote. Let's get into a little uh, Morgan and Morgan making it look easy. And I've thought long and hard this weekend. I, I think last week I gave it to uh, Max Crosby because I wanted to give it to him again. I think Max Crosby. I, I I don't I don't know who the leader in the clubhouse is right now for defensive player of the year, but I just know based on my eyes, I don't think there's been a better defensive player you know, through the middle of October than Max Crosby. Definitely no one in the NFL plays harder. And I think, like, part of, you know, Miles Garrett, elite player. His defense is really good. Micah Parsons, elite player. His talent around him is pretty good. I'm watching Max Crosby like, most of the guys around him fucking suck. I mean, Taylor uh, Jones is, like, arrested in the loony bin. You know, what's going on? there? Their defense is terrible. Their team's awful. And you got Max Crosby... Playing like he's Lawrence Taylor. But I I can't give it to him two weeks in a row. And usually we give this to a player. But I was thinking about this. I was watching football on Sunday. I thought this team was going to be god-awful. I thought they were going to have the number one overall pick. They're 3-3. and And honestly, they feel like a wild card team. He's got a baby on the way. I think Sean McVay, given how random his team is. I mean, through the first, before Cooper Cup came back, he's playing with Puka Nakua, let's face it, Nobody listening had ever heard of him, if you're not a BYU fan. And a bunch of random guys on defense beside Aaron Donald. Now listen, Arizona's not very good, but McVay, they kicked their ass. I don't think it's out of the realm possibility if Matt Stafford can stay healthy. You know, this team can win nine, ten 10 games. Who, this team could be the 6th seed. The, the, the LA Rams could essentially be what the Giants were last year. And listen, it, you might have been a hater like me, even if you were like not you know, you were just like unemotional about it. You didn't necessarily have an opinion. You probably would have said they're not going to be very good. They weren't good last year. And they've been really good. Uh, They've been exceptional on offense. So baby on the way, Sean McVay, proven why he's a really good coach. That's making it look easy. Brought to you by Morgan & Morgan, the largest injury law firm. Forthepeople.com slash John or dial pound law 529 from your cell phone. That's F-O-R, thepeople.com slash J-O-H-N
0: Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get a luxury automobile. So you look at it, you go, well... you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, let's dive into a couple more things. Let's start with, and Colin and I touched on it a little bit, and I believe this when I said it, that the Lions in the number one seed is not out of the realm of possibility. Look at the Niners and Eagles schedule. Obviously, they just had some major injuries. We'll see one thing, you know, McCaffrey and Lane Johnson, even if they end up playing this week or however it plays out, I mean, those guys are compromised players now. I mean, they've been injured, and it's just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Lane Johnson and Christian McCaffrey, their record and their impact, Lane Johnson's resume for the Eagles is much longer in terms of his impacts, wins, and losses than McCaffrey's while McCaffrey's is short when he's been on the field, that they have kicked serious ass and taken names. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Just end of story. But I thought a lot about the Lions because I believed in them coming into this season. Not because I thought they were going to win 14 or 15 games, because I love the roster. (laughs) And their talent spoke for itself. And I think the way they finished last year... And every season, you start fresh. So the momentum at the end of a season, especially when you don't make the playoffs, people always argue and talk about is irrelevant because the next season does not care. You're not guaranteed the next season. Here's the thing, though. They were littered with young players who were ascending, and then they had a really high pick because of the trade they had with the Rams, which they parlayed into multiple players. Now, we'll see. Now, with Montgomery being injured, Gibbs will play more. But they turned basically that pick into Gibbs and a tight end Laporta, which I, I like both those guys. And then we'll see how good the other hybrid linebacker from from Iowa Campbell can become. But like I think they're pretty excited, big picture, about those three players. Now, they might be better in a couple years because those players will truly be in their prime, including Jamison Williams, including Panay Sewell, including Aiden Hutchinson. You know, they, they got years to come, but right now they're really good. And I was thinking about one thing they clearly did a good job of. When they made the trade for Stafford, the 49ers wanted him too. And they're like, hey, we will give you the same package in Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Rams are like, hey, we'll give you these two picks and Jared Goff. And they chose Jared Goff. And a lot of people, and I'm sure I was guilty of this too, was like, do you really want Jared Goff? And they used to say, like, we believe in this guy. We want him to be our quarterback. He hasn't just, you know, filled the gap for them. He's been a top... I don't know, 12 quarterback these last couple years. And I think when you look at his salary, like, Google how much Jared Goff's making right now. He's not a $50 million quarterback, but he's under contract for this year and obviously next year. So he's not even a free agent till the 2025 season. And his cap number is fantastic. I mean, you're talking about a guy that made like $25, $30 million who is playing at a Pro Bowl level. Like, Jared Goff is going to be an NFC Pro Bowler if he doesn't get hurt. So they got a Pro Bowl quarterback for basically half the going rate, who they like, who has a chip on his shoulder, and who clearly has helped elevate the squad. And they got the Dan Campbell hire right. Like, you watch the Lions, his team is prepared to play every single week. They have a physical style. They are just good. They are a well-coached football team. So the coaching quarterback thing is really good. But part of once you made that trade – like you gotta put the pieces together. Like you gotta hit on the draft picks. Making a trade like that, we've seen Jalen Ramsey, we've seen Jamal Adams, Khalil Mack, you gotta hit on the picks. Because if you do hit on the picks, it can change your franchise. And it looks like if anything, that not only did they hit on the picks, some of those picks have a chance to be stars. And part of it also is when you make a trade like that, sometimes you immediately kind of tank that season. And that led to Aiden Hutchinson. Right. You know, the problem for the Raiders when they traded Khalil Mack, it helped tank their season. They they drafted Khalil and Ferrell. Then they drafted some other guys who are no longer on the team. So when you make that trade, to to build a team from scratch, you gotta have a coach and you gotta have a quarterback. And obviously both those guys. I mean Jared Goff has had a pretty damn good career now. Right. And Dan Campbell, you gotta make the playoffs a couple times before we call you a high end coach. But he's gonna make the playoffs this year. Like, the Lions are a lock. I mean, it would take multiple devastating injuries for them not to win that division. And let's face it, if they're relatively healthy in the playoffs, they're going to be favored in the first round. More than likely, I mean, I guess they could be anywhere from the 1-3 to three seed because it's pretty clear the South is going to be the four seed. But they're going to be favored in the playoffs. I'll promise you that. So, hat tip to the Lions. Fun team to watch. I mean, just exciting young players. I, I always lean with physical football teams. It's a fun story, man, because they're just that franchise that, let's face it, everyone kind of makes fun of, who just consistently sucks, who have had some really special players over the years, but have never been able to put it together as a team. And now what they have doesn't really feel like a flash in the pan. right? They had some teams with Stafford that would like have a really good year, and then it wouldn't translate to the next year. It feels like this thing is sustainable. And I think the other big picture thing you have to start asking yourself, the you extent Jared Goff. Like, would Jared Goff take, you know, like three years, $100 million, guarantee every penny? Something like that. I think you have to think about doing that right now because, listen, he it's not like he's 38 years old and you look at the other quarterbacks in your conference, you look at the other quarterbacks in your division, Kirk Cousins is going to be gone. A lot of question marks with Fields and a lot of question marks with Jordan Love. So you get a huge advantage just keeping the consistency with Jared Goff, and you could argue he's... Another five, six games away from sustaining this, from kind of proving that this is kind of who he is, especially when you factor in the guys around him. So, And it's not like he makes he's on a rookie contract now. Now, you might—you have to give him a little bit of a raise, but it could get complicated. I'm sure he'd want like $45 million a year. If he's smart, everything's going well. And listen, I'm i never one to tell a guy to take less money. I Googled it today. He's made $130 million in his career. So if they'd give him three years, $100 million on top of it, I mean, you're talking about a guy when the dust settles, going to make two hundred fifty million dollars playing NFL football, <laughs> right? So I, I think you have to entertain this because he's in a really good situation. The team likes him, uh, and they're set up to be good for a while. Props to the Jets. You know, Robert Sala saying after the game that they've embarrassed quarterbacks. Like, let's pump the brakes. You played fucking like Mac Jones. Like, let's 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 slow down a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, but and, and you know, Jalen Hurts was awful. Now, you get a little credit for that, but did you embarrass... I guess Josh Allen was awful. You did embarrass a couple MVP-level quarterbacks, but you lost to Mac Jones, so let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. But you could have waved the white flag. You showed a lot of metal. You showed a lot of heart because after that moment on Monday Night Football, it was on the table that this team just unravels. Unraveling was right in front of them. And somehow... And I was thinking a lot about this with Belichick, is Belichick's a very angry curmudgeon, just kind of surly dude. That that's his, that's his makeup. And you know, Parcells was the same way, and that used to really work in the NFL. And I think it can work when you're winning. Sabin can kind of be like that too. It doesn't mean he doesn't crack jokes and shit, but his natural inclination in terms of his attitude is gonna be dark. Like it, it's why he's always fit right in the Northeast. Just he's a surly individual. Well, when you're losing and you suck, what a miserable fucking place to be. I mean, I always always told it was miserable to be there when they were winning. Now they're losing in historic fashion for relative to him. He's only 8 losses away from being the all-time losing coach, but it's just what a negative place. And I do think there's something in Robert Sala. He's kind of an uplifter. And listen, I don't always have to agree or well, even what he's saying can be kind of made up, but he's positive. And I think when you go through the shit in 2023, just with the people you're dealing with, and let's face it, 23-year-olds in 2023 are a little bit different than 23-year-olds in 1987. An uplifting personality, you're seeing it with D'Amico. Both those guys are positive multipliers, right? It's very hard when you're super negative all the time and the team sucks for it to be a place that no one wants to be. And I think one thing that Robert Sala has really brought to the table these last two years, and they've been throwing some curveballs. It's just a positive attitude, and that's an underrated, I think, thing in the sport of football, but I think his positivity is rubbing off on the team. It's clearly rubbing off on Zach Wilson, who we can debate how good he really is, but he clearly has improved from last season, and his improvement has helped them just, you know, they didn't really have any other options by their own doing. Like, they chose that. But kind of keep the train on the tracks. And Now, you know, can this team? You get to ten wins. I, I definitely think it's on the table. A couple quarterbacks that I was thinking about it today. There is no such thing as a bridge quarterback. There just isn't. If you are signing a guy to a number that in in 2023 is not 100 150 million dollars, but you're paying you're getting a starting quarterback. That guy's going to have major flaws. Something's going to be way off. And when Jimmy Garoppolo was signed by the Raiders and they gave him $35 million, Jimmy Garoppolo is making a lot of money. Jimmy Garoppolo is not good. And the one thing you knew when you signed him is Jimmy Garoppolo gets injured all the time. He's just constantly injured. It's honestly kind of crazy how often he gets injured. I mean, this season with the Raiders, after not passing a physical in March, He's had a concussion, missed a game, and then he literally just went in an ambulance to the hospital in the middle of the game. It's not even Halloween. Missed a game, been to the hospital for a separate injury. Like, you can't even make it up. But this is not something that, like, hey, it's football, you never know. Right? Sometimes in football, there's a guy laying there, gets carted off, has to go to the hospital, 100%. Obviously, these injuries are somewhat random, but you can't say that you are shocked he has a resume of getting injured. Now, the Raiders are a weird team because they got Max Crosby's playing out of his mind. Devontae Adams is just an elite player who Jimmy Garoppolo throws so many hospital balls to him. It's crazy. Devontae Adams hasn't gone to the hospital with some of his throws. Jimmy Garoppolo's is not that good. And that signing, like you go, Middlecoff, what were their other options? You just can't sign Jimmy Garoppolo in that spot if you're the Raiders. And while this guy, it's weird, right? Jimmy has accomplished more, but he was with much more stable organization. And I think earlier in his career, he was a better player. But Derek, over the course of his career, one was more durable and definitely had some higher highs as like an individual. But the Saints gave him $60 million to sign. $60 million. They guaranteed $60 million. And he's a classic example of like, if there's a free agent available, you should not give him $60 million. Something's just off. Because guys that you want to be your starting quarterback never hit the free agent market. Kirk Cousins next year might be an outlier. Part of it, he's like 35, 36 years old. It, just a, it's kind of a unique situation because clearly he's better than Derek Carr. But listen, I, I've watched Derek's career since uh, Fresno State. He had some really good seasons in, in Oakland. His third year where he was in the MVP conversation, he broke his ankle. He was playing at a really high level. And honestly, I don't think he's ever quite been the same uh, in terms of his pocket presence. He's just... he He's less willing than he once was. That game the other day was pretty embarrassing. It, it really was. The stats are the most misleading thing I've ever seen. Down the stretch, him and the offensive coordinator should be ashamed of their effort. Like That, that was, for the amount of money he's making really, really low-level quarterback play. He was making throws that didn't have a chance if Kevin Garnett was in pads. It was just complete waste of a play. And they were my pick to win that game against Houston. Loved them in that spot. I feel like an idiot. Uh, Because I was like, ah, rookie quarterback against a really good defense. And the defense is solid. But their offense is kind of a disaster right now. And I do not feel good about my Saints pick making the playoffs because of that offense. And Derek does not look right. There's no cohesion, despite having some good players. right? The Alave, pretty explosive player. Alvin Kamara, looks pretty good. Even Taysom Hill is kind of this hybrid, kind of does some shit. Michael Thomas, serviceable player now. But man, those two guys got a combined $93 million this offseason guaranteed. Both of them look awful. Obviously, Jimmy's literally in a hospital. But he was when he's been on the field, he has not been good. And Raider fans, you know that. And Derek has looked pedestrian at best and you don't give a guy 60 million dollars thinking you're going to make the playoffs with him to be pedestrian I wanted to hit on something collegiate on Saturday and uh, several things actually and Colin and I hit on a little bit with the Seattle the game in Seattle Washington versus Oregon what a fantastic football game and as someone that is going to miss the Pac-12 I'm glad this grand finale of the Pac-12 season is going out with a bang it's been really fun it is, it's enjoyable to watch these two powers really kind of kick ass and take names. Really both of them are the only teams that have ever made the college football playoffs. I think Oregon did the first year and they won a game when Helfrich was their coach with Mar- Mariota. They beat Jameis in Florida state and then Washington, I think made it the next year or maybe the year after with Chris Peterson and uh, Jake Browning and s- some of those guys. So these are the only two teams that have ever represented the West coast in a playoff game since they've gone from the national championship to the 14 playoffs. So it surely looks like one of these two teams is going to make it again. And obviously Washington now has the inside track. Michael Penix put on a show. It was not his best statistical game. And he went through a stretch in that game where he was struggling. He was getting peppered. It's not quite to this level, but anyone kind of my age, older, or just in my age range, you remember. And I think it would have had to be probably my freshman year of college, maybe my senior year in high school, is Byron Lefwich was in college, and he, like, had a high ankle sprain. He got rolled up on and had to be carried by his offensive lineman to the huddle. I think it was late in the game, and it was just one of the most incredible displays of toughness you'll ever see. And that's that's hard to, you know, simulate, right? It's not going to happen consistently. But Michael Penix, you could tell, in the middle of the game, I'm like, this guy might get KO'd he is getting destroyed. You could tell his ribs were hurting. He was kind of leaning over, walking gingerly to the huddle, and he just didn't tap out. And then he made some of his biggest passes when he needed to the most. Now, as a college prospect, you know, or an NFL prospect in college, one thing that concerns me, and I think you see it with Tua, it's I, he's my comp because they're both left-handed, but they both throw a beautiful deep ball, but neither of them are great athletes. And I don't know whether Penix was a better athlete before some of his knee injuries, but he is a pocket passer only. And I'm less inclined to lean that way in 2023 and beyond in the NFL because every team has all these pass rushers. I just watched the Cleveland Browns. If you can't move at all, you're sitting duck, you're fucked. The 49ers, all, all these teams, the Eagles, they will run your ass down. Aaron Donald by himself will catch you multiple times in a football game. That's if you're a good athlete. If you're not, good luck. There's a reason Cousins and the Bradys and the Mannings, they had to get rid of the ball so fast they can't move. That, that's my only red flag. But in terms of accuracy, in terms of poise, in terms of toughness, in terms of production, in terms of just, you know, <laughs> uh, the high test, uh, as a fan watching him play, it doesn't get much more fun than Michael Penix Jr. in this Washington team. And I've said it for a while. Anyone at Ohio State... Listen, you got a huge game this week against Penn State. You could easily lose. I talked to a buddy in the NFL that thinks Michigan, the gap between Michigan and Ohio State this year is dramatically bigger than it has been the last couple of years. And this is a guy, a scout that goes into both programs. Now, you got to play it on the field. What what matters on paper doesn't matter. But if Ohio State gets worked again by Michigan, And, I mean, last year they lost, but they ended up making the playoffs. And then, in a weird way, in a loss to Georgia, it felt like Ryan Day kind of gained some respect back. He obviously beat Notre Dame this year. If he beats Penn State, even if he loses to Michigan, I'm not saying the guy's going to get fired. But you can tell Ryan Day is just not on the status of, like, getting treated like Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, despite having a very, very successful record. And you lose three times in a row to Jim Harbaugh, because let's face it, what Jim said, Bro, you were born on third base and you think you hit a triple. There is some element of that. <laughs> there just is. He was handed a program that was fucking rolling with Urban Meyer. Had become, obviously Ohio State's always been good, but I mean, beating Saban in the natty. Now, I know that happened a couple years previously, but my point is the the recruiting and everything. And obviously Ryan Day knows what it looks like on offense, but we'll see. The expectations at Ohio State are no different than Alabama, Georgia, Or USC. Like, the moment you don't win and win big, and I mean, like, compete to win natties, you're in trouble. That's why I've already got Lincoln red flagged. Lincoln, if you can't recruit defense, this ain't going to last long. You're not going to win national championships. You're going to have no chance to win national championships. And they gave you $120 million to win national championships. Like, when Mel Tucker, before he was doing who knows what on a phone call, with you know, even though it was consensual, more absolute fucking moron. Like that's not who you date when you are the football coach. I am sorry, not the lady who's coming to your program to, to, as a rape victim. That's just you. You deserve. There is an idiot tax there, and, and you are getting taxed with your contract. But Mel Tucker was not signed ninety million dollars to win national championships at Michigan State. Let's face it, Mel Tucker was signed to nine million dollars to go like nine and three, maybe a ten win season every once in a while. That'd be fine. Make everyone a bunch of money. Everyone would be good, at Michigan, at Ohio State, at Georgia, at LSU, at Bama, at Texas. Now, even though it's you know it's they haven't actually been as good as you think over like the last forty years, but they're paying Sark USC with Lincoln. You're paid to win natties. Anything less than competing to win natties, it's a red flag. And Kalen Dubois, he gets to he gets Washington to the playoffs. Maybe they win a playoff game. They're going to the Big Ten. I can see it, man. 2000 at the end of next year. That's just something to keep an eye on. Already got that my way too early, you know, coach potential uh, jump ship. Caleb, objectively his worst game as a collegiate player. He was terrible. Like, if you just watched that game and didn't know anything and didn't know this guy was talked about as the number one pick last year, would have been the number one pick in the draft, you'd be like, USC has a terrible quarterback. He was beyond awful. He's human. Tom Brady had bad games. Peyton Manning had bad games. Aaron Rodgers had bad games. Like You're allowed to have bad games. Sports. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, Ted Williams didn't get a hit every time he came to bat. Tiger Woods didn't break par every te- single time he played 18 holes. But it is something, I will say this. I'm not, I wouldn't change my rankings based on one game. But it is something to keep an eye on. And I've said this season, unlike his previous two, like, everything came pretty easy the first two years. This year's a little harder. And he earned a lot of credit, in my eyes, in the Arizona game. His team was down. His defense sucked. He had to single-handedly carry his team to victory. And Arizona's probably a 7-8 win team. That was that was a good win for USC, but it was one of the most impressive performances given the stakes for Caleb Williams. Whatever. You're allowed a bad game. Andrew Luck had bad games. Trevor Lawrence had bad games. To me, though, the next stretch of the season... I am looking at, because clearly this team is not as good as we thought it was going to be, meaning things are going to be harder. And I like evaluating quarterbacks when shit's kind of hard. Because in the NFL, it ain't easy. You don't get to just blow everyone out 50-60 to nothing. It's why so many quarterbacks at the elite programs have busted in the NFL. Now, Caleb's physical characteristics, his athleticism, his arm strength, his accuracy, his playmaking, all translate. But he plays Utah this week. He just got worked by Notre Dame. Utah's defense is every bit as good, if not better. Utah beat him twice last year. On his nails, he wrote, fuck Utah, which was moronic, and then got worked in the Pac-12 championship. Like, What does he look like this season? Because I'll promise you this. Kyle Whittingham, kind of a throwback coach in college, is one of those guys, the moment Lincoln Riley got $120 million, and everybody, including myself, was giving him a reach around and the hype job like, this is going to be incredible for USC, beat him twice. And I'll promise you every time the schedule comes out, obviously they're going their separate ways. Utah's going to the Big 12 and SC's going to the Big 10. He circles this fucking game. He's a defensive coach. Everyone acts like Lincoln and and Caleb are the best thing that ever happened to offensive football. He's going to want to kick the shit out of him. He's been game planning for this game since the summer. I'll promise you that. So I, I can't wait to watch but it's not just this game. USC finishes their season Washington at home at Oregon and then against UCLA and UCLA this year, their defensive coordinator is Anthony Lynn's son. Their defense is good. Like UCLA who just got worked by Oregon state. Who's also good is UCLA is good. And listen, I'm not the biggest chip Kelly guy, but defensively UCLA is good. They got a Five-star, true freshman quarterback who's going through some growing pains. I've always thought Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. I'd fire Chip. I, I'd hire Jonathan Smith if I was UCLA going to, uh, going to the Big Ten. But that's a conversation for another pl- time. I do think that Caleb's got some very, very tough tests coming up. And as an evaluator, like, I, listen, you call me crazy or whatever, this is not necessarily my opinion. I haven't studied Drake May enough. Like, I'm sorry I'm not watching that much North Carolina football. I do know some people that think not only is the gap closer than the way the media talks about it, that some people think Drake May, you know, he's 6'4, he's a good athlete, he's 230, he's obviously a sweet player, does have a chance to go number one. And these evaluations and these biggest games, if Caleb's going to come down a peg, it's going to be struggling against the best teams because that's real football. You don't you you don't just play for whoever, and then just everything's easy in the pros. That's not how it is at all. So I'm fascinated to watch this next stretch, and I do think the Deion Sanders hype has come to a screeching halt. As I had a few cocktails on Friday night, and I was paying, I was watching a little bit of the game, and Colorado was kicking their butt. And I've I've always enjoyed Stanford. I kind of root for them. Troy Taylor who resurrected Sac State, a perennial just dumpster fire operation, had the best season in program history, took them to the playoffs, former Cal quarterback, and I was pretty dialed into that game. And all of a sudden, I'm getting texts, people hitting me up like, bro, you should turn on the Colorado game. And they came storming back. Shador's numbers looked pretty good. He threw five touchdowns. I thought he missed some pretty easy bunnies. Uh, some layup throws at at that level that honestly weren't that close, didn't play that well down the stretch. But let's face it, their best player is Travis Hunter, who has to just be completely gassed. I mean, he's playing both ways. He missed some time. I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but he was getting destroyed by number 13. I mean, number 13 had one of the catches of the year where he basically mossed it over his back, carried him the last five yards in the end zone. If Travis Hunter is going to get lit up on defense, Colorado sucks, right? If, if Travis Hunter is going to make plays, Shador's going to play well, they have a chance to win games. But their schedule also gets very difficult. <laughs> like, they start playing the Utahs, the UCLA's, the Oregon State's. Like, it's, you know, USC. I guess they already played USC. It's going to get a lot more difficult. Uh, I think they play Arizona in a couple weeks, who just destroyed Washington State. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch Colorado, who... The interest early on, they were winning. Listen, primetime can be as swaggy as he wants. He's one of the greatest sportsmen we've ever seen. The dude played in a World Series while he was the best cornerback in the NFL. Can you imagine someone doing that? Can you imagine anyone in the NFL sniffing a fastball from Justin Verlander? I don't think there's one dude in the NFL who get fucking bat on ball. Half of them probably couldn't even catch a ball in the outfield. Steal a base. No chance despite some of the great athletes. So what Dion as a player speaks for itself and obviously as a coach, he's been very successful, but sometimes his swag, like their team isn't good enough. It's just not. And, and Travis Hunter in a vacuum is, but the rest of the guys, like you got a lot of guys acting like they're playing at Ohio state or Michigan. It's like, bro, you're, you're a fringe power five guy probably. And you know, Dion set himself up for this a little bit too. Like you better get us now. You're getting got now. <laughs> and, and you know, some people think it's it could be difficult for them to win another game. I think if you objectively look at their schedule, more than likely they're probably five. Especially if you know their guys are going to be gassed if they're not going to play at the high level, which they did early in the season. Like five and seven is on the table. They're four and three right now. So I talked to a couple people who think you know they might not win another game, and if that's the case, just be a hard look, regardless of most people thought they were like a one-win team, a three-win team. You don't win another game. I I, I wouldn't call this year a failure given the ratings, the hype, all that stuff. But in terms of on the field, I think anything less than a bowl bid would be pretty devastating for primetime. For a limited time, you can save 40% on NFL Plus premium annual subscription when you sign up Through Plus Play from Verizon. Plus Play is a platform where you can shop, manage, and save on the subscriptions you already love, like NFL Plus. With NFL Plus Premium, you get access to live games on mobile, NFL Red Zone, NFL Network, and more. So you can watch multiple games all at once on any screen around you for updates. Never miss a touchdown. And for fantasy football players, NFL Plus Premium makes all the difference. Access to programming, like Fantasy Live through NFL Network, Red Zone for tracking player performance on Sunday, access to live local primetime games, access to Fantasy Plus. Just go to verizon.com slash NFL to get NFL Plus Premium today. It's 40% off an annual subscription. That's just $59.99 for the full season. Get it
0: before it's gone. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats. That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7... Add John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. Get your question answered here on the show. This is not a question, but please read it on the show. This guy's basically just calling Dennis Allen the worst coach in the league and wants to know how anyone in an NFL front office can hire this clown, he said that, not me, to run their team. Now, I picked this team to win the division. And I, I thought that they could overcome. Like I don't think Dennis Allen, some star coach, thought their roster would be good enough and the division for them to cruise, cruise to like 11 wins. And it's clearly going to be very, very difficult for them to get to 10, right? And they by no means are sh- are sh- shoo- shoo- in to win the division. Could see them at like eight and nine, and maybe Tampa goes nine and eight. Maybe they win the division eight and nine. But I will say this: we talked about it a little bit earlier. Just because you're a head coach in the NFL or in college, does not mean you know what's going on on the other side of the ball. If I had to bet right now, does Dennis Allen know the offensive playbook? I would say no. Does he know offensive plays they run? Of course. Does he know the entire playbook and on a weekly basis the offensive game plan? You know, like he would as he when he's the defensive coordinator or just the defense in general. Zero chance. Now, he's the head coach. He's the boss. Everything that happens on the team, special teams, offense, defense, player-wise, is his responsibility. That's your role as the head coach. But the the failure so far, and I've watched a lot of the Saints just because i watched Derek's career, he's been terrible. He just has. And the offensive coordinator and Derek, to me, get the blame for that situation. Uh, obviously, Dennis Allen does too, but their defense is playing pretty good. And to me, he has his imprints all over the defense. Offensively, they're an embarrassment. Now, he's banging the table for them to give Derek the money. Uh, Derek has to be better. He just simply does. This is kind of a meta question, if you will. Is football, specifically the NFL, but to a lesser degree college, too, on the back nine as far as quality of product? Don't get me wrong. My personal interest has never been higher. Maybe even more with betting and fantasy. But that raises another question for me. Are we just being oversaturated with marketing, betting, fantasy, cross-promotion like Taylor Swift? I know the answer in the world as a whole is yes. But in my opinion, the -the on-the-field product is suffering. It's almost become so secondary to another dumbass CBS promo. I feel like we have uh, never got back to the level we were at like right before the uh, pandemic years. I know I've heard you say before, and now time to get while the getting is good... And this sport won't be around in 100 years. It's not life or death, but it's not overstating to say society is better with good football. I think there are several elements here. And I think it gets back to the way the sport was collectively bargained. And the sport, I I would say it's always any profession is about money. But the growth of the economics exploded over the last 15 plus years Changed the sport forever. And when the players negotiated in 2011, they were adamant about all these things like no double days, mandatory off days, no pads in practice. And to me, that in turn has hurt the product. And obviously, to a greater extent, this second time around with the CBA. And I, I do think, listen, the lawsuits, the concussion problem, the NFL did not give a shit. But I I'm sorry, like I, I never will apologize. Like a big reason I watch football and fell in love with it was the violence in football. And I miss that. You know, there was a hit in the 49er Browns game, which was one of the more physical games of the season where the flag came out. And Deshaun Gibson got a 15 yard penalty for unnecessary roughness. It couldn't have been a cleaner hit. But these referees leaned to throw the flag. It infuriates me that a player in college who leads with his helmet, in 2023, no one's trying to injure anybody anymore. Those days are over. Like the John Lynch, Steve Atwater days of literally trying to crack your neck, they've been coached out of the league. So yeah, we have some plays, these bang-bang plays, where it's, you know, maybe crossing the line, but these guys are not doing it maliciously anymore. They're just not. So when you throw a collegiate player out of the game, we've all seen the stats, a tiny percentage of guys in college will play in the pros. So you have a finite number of games at the highest level. It just fucking pisses me off to throw out a 19, 20-year-old for accidentally, because that's what it is now. He is not trying to hit him with his helmet. And it infuriates me, but it all gets back to lawsuits, and which I understand. Like I'm, I'm, I'm as pro-business as anyone you're going to find that talks about sports. So I, I get both sides, but the game has forever been changed. And obviously, I benefit, for example, from the popularity of it. Uh, I, you know, I, I never in a million years would have thought that I'd be able to do this the way I'm able to do it and just make as much money as I'm making and success of the podcast and everything. But yeah, it it, it ain't the same. And I, I won't, will not apologize for missing it. Just like I don't apologize for liking violence in boxing or UFC. That, that's an element of football. I clicked on Shannon and Ocho, who do like their nightcap after Sunday Night Football, and both of them, and I think sometimes it sounds like old man on a cloud, but it's just a fact. He's like, we would never in a million years in the 90s or Chad in the 2000s run a three-step slant. Why? Because Ray Lewis would be sitting there over the middle, and he, would, he could end your career, could knock you out for the season. It's not even allowed anymore. It just isn't. So it's a completely different game, which they had to do to keep the money train going. And clearly it's benefited the success of the overall league. But from some of us football purists, it's different. It just is. So there's no going back. That's It's like I don't complain about it really anymore uh, unless we it gets brought up because there is no going back. We're never going back. It will only get quote-unquote softer. It's why the most physical teams you're not really allowed to be physical in the open field like you once were. I once kind of said this to John Lynch and he he kind of laughed, but he was also kind of offended like I don't know if you could play today and whenever I talk to buddies they'd be like, well yeah, you probably could he just have to play linebacker. but you look at the safeties now they're not that big like Kyle Hamilton for the Ravens is an outlier. if you ever meet a safety from the 90s, I, I worked with Lewis Riddick. Who was a backup safety in the NFL in the 90s? Lewis is big. John Lynch is massive. These safeties from the 90s look like defensive linemen. I mean, they're 6'2, 6'3. Obviously, they're not, you know, 260 pounds, but if you meet them at 50 years old, you're like, God, this guy could wear 250 pounds. You meet a guy now, they're just smaller. It's much more of a spread football game. So, yeah, it's sad. It sucks. I miss it. Should the Raiders move off Jimmy G, regardless how the injury turns out for week seven against the Bears? It's clear that Brian Hoyer is not the real solution, but because the Bears are not great, should they give O'Connell another start? The problem is, and Khalil Mack talked about it on his start, he said a huge reason, and he had like, you know, tied an NFL record for six sacks in a game, it was like, you know, I guess it wasn't the NFL record, but only six other players in NFL history had done it. A big reason that he got the sacks was the kid was holding onto the ball. And I like the guy. I mean what he looked like in the preseason. But we all get excited and we're all human beings. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. But the preseason and the regular season really have nothing in common. Beside you you know, you play sixty minutes and wear helmets and a shoulder pad. But the actual sport, the schematics of it are completely different. And the guy looked overwhelmed. So I think the Raiders quarterback situation is gonna be their downfall, which has kind of been a revolving door just moving forward. What is the Bills' issue with their defense obviously being better, the better unit? Despite them losing three starters for the year and countless dudes cycling hurt in and out, the defense is consistently proving they're a top 5 or 10 unit. Meanwhile, the offense under Josh's leadership continues to falter and play down to their competition. Is the lack of coaching presence on the offensive side? I like McDermott, but it's clear that without Dayball, something has seemed off. Not even debatable. They do not look remotely the same. Though, there was a play that, I guess, ultimately was the game-winning touchdown on Sunday night that Josh pulled out of his ass, rolled to the right, threw it into coverage. It was just only a couple guys have that in the bag, right? Mahomes, uh, I would say Mahomes, Herbert, and him are the only guys, the athleticism, the arm strength, just that total package. And, And you're seeing the Chiefs really thrive with this now that they got Pacheco, is when you can get a physical running back with a star quarterback, it is a game changer. It, it, it really is. You know, I mean, the Patriots always kind of revolved running backs, but they always had a successful operation. Now, James Cook had 71 yards the other night in Latavius. I mean, they, they actually ran the ball pretty well against the Giants. But it, it just feels like their running game is not that reliable since really the last couple years with Josh Allen. And I think that really helps. Now, they've invested heavily with tight ends. They drafted Kincaid Hyde. Uh, You know, Knox has been a productive player for them, but Kincaid missed the game with the concussion or whatever. Yeah, I just, something's off. And it might just be the Day Ball. I I don't know. I mean, only those guys truly know how big a deal that is. But we see with the Eagles, right? Some coordinators are better than others. Shane Sykin was clearly a lot better than Brian Johnson. Not debatable. Same players, doesn't look remotely the same. Can you explain if and when the Broncos can move on from Russell Wilson? I'm hearing conflicting reports. Some reporters are saying they're stuck with Russ for years. Others reporting they can get out next year. Well, here's the thing with a contract. If you were to cut him, you can basically just accelerate all the money that you owe them on your books and take a massive hit. the Falcons kind of did it with Matt Ryan where I think it was like a 40 million dollar in dead cap space but technically what I see right now obviously he's on the team this year his dead cap is 107 million dollars so if they'd cut him it would have been over half the salary and they're paying him you know 40 plus million dollars next year it would be 85 million dollars. so if you cut Russell Wilson, you pay him eighty-five million dollars on your salary cap. You don't have to cut him, but let's say the salary cap's two hundred and thirty-five million dollars. Eighty-five of that are for a player that's not on your team, and then the following year is basically close to fifty million dollars. So it is pretty complicated. Now I, there are probably logistics with this contract that, you know, if I got a Howie Roseman on the phone. Maybe there are ways you can eat some of the money, facilitate a trade. I just don't know who's trading for him. I I, I really don't. Now, I think the question would be, if you guys end up with a top two or three pick and Sean Payton wants to take a quarterback, would you ride out for a season with him on the team? That seems weird. But also, what's he going to do? Be a bad guy? Like, that's not really his MO, right? So I... I don't really know the outcome of this. I, honestly, I don't have a... I can't even make an educated guess. I would say it's probably unlikely they cut him at the end of this season. But you would say with John Payton, everything's on the table. Huge fan of the show. I like this guy. I'm from South Carolina, so I don't have an NFL team, but I love seeing how players I like in college turn out in the pros. I'm a huge Carolina fan and want to know your take on Spencer Rattler. He was bent for Caleb Williams, an all-time great prospect, but he still has incredible talent with our limited roster. He also has faced serious adversity in college, which, as you and Colin talk about, almost seemingly play an advantage to quarterbacks in the NFL. With what seems to be a great class of quarterbacks, what have you heard any buzz on him or know what kind of grade he might have? He currently has 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, four picks. Was this uh, before or after the weekend? I think it was... Uh, We start a backup quarterback at wide receiver. It's hard to watch. Honestly, I have not talked to anyone about Spencer Rattler. I know last year it was not going well, and then he finished really strong. Uh, I have not watched a snap of South Carolina. But I, I did watch the Netflix quarterback show. Obviously wasn't a huge fan based on that. Now, in fairness to the guy, he was in high school. So you, you, you would have watched me in high school. You probably would have hated me. Like, welcome to being an older person watching younger people, uh, especially, you know, a lot of blue-chip prospects. But you're right. Like, getting beat out by Caleb Williams has actually aged pretty well. I would think he was a draftable player. But I, I don't, I have not seen much buzz about him, you know, being a top three-round guy. From Christopher. There is no way the Browns beat the greatest team ever, the 49ers. I think that's a shot probably at me. Uh, No, it happened. I, I watched it. This is Robert using my wife's IG. I don't have an account. Love the show. I heard you say on a recent episode that you purchased a new TV for your new house. I'm in the market for a new TV. Did you do a lot of research or just went to the store and picked one out? I heard you say you went with a Samsung. What model? Thanks. I may follow in your footsteps. Well see if I can explain this correctly. I was, I got two TVs in my office, but they are just pretty generic on the cheaper version of Samsung's. I don't care that much about the picture quality. So I think I got one 65-inch TV. It's the cheapest. You can go to Target or Walmart. It's like 400 bucks. And then I got a smaller TV right next to it that's probably a $200 TV. I just bought one for a room. Same deal. Because I didn't care that much about the picture quality. The one in my living room, though... I got. I think. I think you can get. There's different levels of Samsungs, and they're just the basic ones. And then there's like these QLEDs that I had to go into Best Buy. The guy kind of, you know, he kind of. I-, I wouldn't say he dirty hustled me, but he, he kind of sold me on it. And it's like he knew. He's like, you watch sports because these are made for it. I'm like, yeah. You just. You might be. You might know who you're talking to here. So that I got an 85 inch TV for the living room. That's QLED. Uh, I think it's like C80. There are different, like C60, C70, C80. And I think it's the 80. It's pretty crisp and pretty clean. But my other is like, I think if you have a guest room or even for your your bedroom, my take, and I'm someone that watches television for a living, I don't know if it matters that much. I do think for the living room or an area where you're going to watch a lot of TV, that is kind of a game changer. And in my opinion, it's worth spending a little bit more. And I have a big wall where I put the 85-incher. I could have put... They have another one. I think it's like a 98-incher. But the difference in price... You know, I I could have got the same 85-inch TV, the cheaper version, for like... I think like $1,300. And I got the one that I think was $2,200, which is the most I've spent on a TV. And the way bigger one, the crazy part, going to 85 to almost 100... Goes from basically $2,200, that's with tax, to about well over 6000 So I'm like, I'm not spending $4,000 for an extra seven, eight inches. Uh, I think it was ni- maybe 96-inch t- TV. But QLED is the one I got for the living room. And I'm not going to lie, it's, it's pretty crisp. It, it's pretty crisp. Now, my eyes are also kind of going. I either need glasses. I, I had to get... I got an Arizona ID because my just my one my California ID was going to expire. My birthday was a couple weeks ago, and I went to the you know this place. I didn't go to the DMV. There's like this little place in the shopping center where if you need to get you know your car registration, you need to get an ID. There's like no line. I, I don't even know what the place is called, but it's legit. And so I'm taking. The, I didn't even need to take a driver's test. I just had to fill out some paperwork. But she did make me take an eye test, and I swear to God, I could not see the middle row. And I've known, I could tell when I play golf, I, I can't really see where the ball lands. Like my eyes are trending in the wrong direction. My brother, my dad always wore glasses. My brother got laser and it worked really well. I'm just scared. And listen, clearly laser works. What if I'm the one guy laser screws up and I can't see? I'd I, I, be incapable of making a living if I can't watch sports. So, I mean, it's one of my only skills watching sports and talking about it. So if I can't watch television, Uh, But but that's a roundabout way of saying like to me the picture quality you go to you can go to Best Buy that has much higher end TVs than Walmart or or Costco or Target you can really see it is crisper but you know I I think you just need to go to a place like that and a lot of side by sides and tell I don't know what your budget is TVs in a world of inflation it truly is one of the one of the only things that you can get a really good TV, a massive TV. I mean, I, it's not that long ago when I was a kid. If you would have had a 50-inch TV, you would have had, even with rich people, had one of the biggest TVs in the community. And I bought a 75-inch TV, and within 24 hours, I had gone to Best Buy and had them come pick it up and drop off an 85-inch TV. It wasn't big enough. And even looking at the 85, i like, could have a bigger. <laughs> Crazy how the world has worked It's one of my go-to podcasts in the car or at the gym. In my opinion, the most important ingredient for success beyond coach and quarterback is depth. You don't have to have the best guys or even top five guys at one or more positions. You need good players, consistent players, but depth is more important over the course of the season, in my opinion. My question is, how can an organization build depth? How can a team make sure they have a second and third string Kai Uh, string on key positions who can produce at 85 to 90 percent of the level of the starters injuries are inevitable so it seems like you'd rather have a solid left tackle with another solid left tackle behind him rather than a stud left tackle and his backup completely hopeless well this is twofold one you need to be a good drafting team because the way you get depth is cheap labor and when you draft guys fourth fifth sixth seventh rounds who are going to be your backups, and then it's a double whammy. You have to be a good drafting team, and you have to have a good coaching staff. Because to draft a guy in the fifth round who starts as a backup and works his way into a starter, the only way for him to improve is coaching and in practice, in the meeting room. So it's, to me, the development, the world of development in any organization starts with the draft, because it's where you get guys on minimum contracts, and starts with the coaching staff who is with this guy every day. Like, ultimately, at practice, let's say I got Jason Kelsey or Trent Williams. Like, what? What am I? Obviously, we're implementing the game plan and talking big picture stuff. But are, are we really talking about, like, hey, Jason, your your depth on your uh, first kick step is a little too deep. Like, give me a break. So you're spending a lot of time with those 6th, 7th, 8th offensive linemen. No different your backup defensive linemen, your backup DBs. You're working those guys in practice. The practice squad guys. The practice squad group is another element where if you can teach those guys your system, get those guys to improve over the course of the year, when your starting corner breaks his leg and then the backup's not quite as good, your practice squad guy might be able to wally pip that guy, right? So it starts in that in that world. And then kind of having a specific scheme, having a specific identity and knowing exactly what to look for. So when guys get cut, or, guys on the free agent market aren't that expensive, you can find a lot of value. Where I disagree is all the best teams in the league have high end players, right? They all do. The Eagles, the Bills, the Niners, the Dolphins, the Chiefs. You have to have star impact players. And then, like you said, then you have to have the depth. So, you got to hit on the elite guys. Like, you're going to need the Steph Currys and the Giannises, but you're also going to need the role players. And it's the best of both worlds. That's why being a GM is really hard. I have a quick question for you. Which current offensive starter do you see for sure 100% getting traded before the deadline? Lots of options, but in your gut, which one? Well, like the Patriots don't really have anybody, right? So who do the Patriots have of any value? Because they're a loss or two away from just blowing the you-know-what up. The Broncos. Like, is Jerry Judy that valued on the open market? I would say no. Who do the Panthers have to trade? J.C. Horns always injured. Like they were adamant, Brian Burns, but he, like you said, he's not an. Op, neither one of those guys are offensive starters. Uh, the Giants could they trade Saquon Barkley? I guess they could, but what would his value be? He's on the franchise tag. He's on a one-year contract. Uh, the Bears could the Bears flip? You know they got the Panthers pick. They got the their own pick. Now Fields is injured. I got one for you. Could they flip DJ Moore? Like if you're the Chiefs, he's under contract. He's clearly a really good player. He would fit your scheme immediately. Would you trade your first, like a first this year and a second next year? If you're the Bears, would you do that? So you basically just get to start from scratch next year? Like what's the point right now? I'd argue none. Like having D.J. Moore does nothing for you. Doesn't do anything for him either. Why not trade, if you're Kansas City, Ryan Poles, trade D.J. Moore to the Chiefs. Give us your first round pick this year and give us your second round pick in 2024 so you keep building this thing. Because what have you really built right now? Nothing. Like I said, the Panthers, nothing. Cardinals, I guess they could trade Hollywood Brown, but he's in the last year of his contract. Rondale Moore, maybe. Why not D.J. Moore? I've actually been thinking about that for a minute. Chiefs' DJ Moore make a lot of sense to me. With everyone questioning Belichick's greatness as a coach, with his declining record since Brady left, do you think there is an argument that Sean Payton just isn't a very good coach without Breeze either? I know people argue that Payton had an excellent record in games where Breeze was sidelined with injury, but Belichick was the same when Brady was hurt. I'm starting to think Sean Payton just straight up isn't a good coach and was carried by Breeze. Your thoughts? It's impossible to be a good coach... Without a star quarterback, especially these last 20 years. Obviously, Parcells became a legend. He had the greatest defensive player of all time. The sport was different, LT, right? So, LT was equivalent to a quarterback in the 80s. But every elite coach of my lifetime became a rock star with a star quarterback, starting in the 90s, right? Or starting in the 80s. That's, uh, you know, in my world. Bill Walsh, Joe Montana. Mike Holmgren got a historic contract from the Seattle Seahawks because of what he did in Green Bay with uh, Brett Favre. Andy Reid was always viewed as like a high end coach, became an all timer the moment he got Patrick Mahomes. So you got to have a good quarterback to be a good head coach. Now, can you figure it out other places? Like, let's compare Andy Reid to Sean Payton. Like, he's kind of one with a bunch of random guys. Donovan McNabb was a high-drafted Pro Bowl-level guy. But then he also won some games with Jeff Garcia. He also won games with Michael Vick. He also won games with Alex Smith. So, yeah, there might be something to that. I I, I think one problem with Sean Payton is he runs really hot. And when you run really hot and shit hits the fan, it can teeter fast on you. And I, I think you're seeing that right now. But in fairness to him, Russell Wilson, relative to what he once was, kind of stinks. And if he's going to stink, like Andy Reid could be their coach, I would, they would be in some trouble. Is it fair to go- question is Sean Payton a good coach? 100%. Is he overrated, overpaid? Uh, well, no one's overpaid. You only get paid what someone's willing to pay you. But is he the, the hype machine? Was it too much coming into this season? And listen, I'd be guilty too. I, I think it's fair to say that. But if he gets another quarterback, let's say they get the number two pick and he drafts Drake May, and then he also sucks with him, then yeah, maybe it's on him. Maybe he just was an overrated coach and Breeze deserves more credit. I always felt like it was both of them, but maybe I'm the crazy one.
0: The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust